0: Brothers and sisters, uh, it's a privilege for me to be here with you this morning to share a portion of God's Word. First of all, I just want to thank you as a congregation and brothers who have uh, invited me here to uh, share with you um, the Word of God. And my name is Ottavio Palombaro. As it was mentioned, I come from Italy. I uh, grew up in a very Roman Catholic family until I was. 24 years of age and in God's providence, an evangelical brother in Christ from Albania shared the gospel with me and uh, brought me to a journey to discover scripture and most of all find salvation in Jesus Christ alone, after which I was involved in uh, service almost immediately six months after my conversion to church planting in Italy on and off back also in the States and uh, serving among churches. For the past ten years, come from a context in Europe, obviously where churches are very small, evangelical, and gospel witness is very small. Italy included, and uh, yeah, uh, very very hard ground for spiritual uh, yeah regeneration and God's opening in those nations. I am currently, as was mentioned, a, an intern at the Re Baptist church. Uh, not far from here, so now, if you would like uh, turn with me to the book of exodus book of Exodus uh, this morning, we will look as it was briefly mentioned to chapter thirty three of Exodus. The words of our text will be verse twelve all the way to chapter 34, verse 9. Exodus chapter 33, verse 12, all the way to 34, verse 9. Hear now the word of God. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he, that is Moses, said to him, If your presence will not go with me, Do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for men shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand. Until I have passed by, then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you, and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. And he rose early in the morning, and went up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him. And took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud, and stood with him there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him, and proclaimed... quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let us pray. O Lord, Who can stand before such a holy and majestic God? No human being for an instant can glimpse at your glory without the realization of his sinfulness, unworthiness. And yet your glory can transform us. And we pray this morning that your spirit now will be present among us. That you will show us your ways. That you will show us your glory, Lord. And that you lead us forward in our lives. Through the rock of ages that was cleft for us, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You might have heard the story of a certain William Montague Dyke. When he was 10 years old, he was blinded by an accident. And despite that shortcoming, he was able to go to university and find a woman and even find the resources necessary to then restore his sight. It was promised to him that this surgery would have helped him in this blindness to recover his sight, but he wasn't sure that it would have worked. And so, Just around the time of his wedding, he went through the surgery and he waited to take off the bandage on his eyes. He said, I want uh, the first thing that I will be seeing to be my bridegroom. And so he went to the wedding, came all the way to the front, the bride, and has... They were getting ready to make the vows. Friend takes the scissors off, the bandages off, and there, behold, he says those words You were far more wonderful than I would have ever imagined. And, friends, can you imagine that one day we will see Jesus Christ face to face? That one day. That bandage that covers our eyes will be completely removed. And we shall see Him and be like He is, beholding His glory. This is what we want to see today in this passage that I could call the sacred showcase. A sacred showcase. We are here in the book of Exodus. Exodus. God had just given, a, as you know, a great deliverance to God's people. Israel was led into the wilderness out of slavery, out of bondage to Pharaoh. And God had, with this purpose, just like in the beginning of all creation, wanted to dwell with His people. He wanted to restore that fall in Genesis to dwell with a people. He takes it for himself, leads him into the wilderness, makes a covenant with them, gives instruction. Moses had been their leader, particularly in this part of the book, we are within the worship area. Because God has given so many instructions to the people as they are going into the wilderness of how to properly approach God in worship. How shall we come to this great God who has delivered us? The proper worship and the problem of sin. Instructions for a tabernacle were given. However, there at Mount Sinai, God reveals His law. But what happens? Just when He reveals His law, God's people come up with their own God. Come up with a God made after their own image. Come up with thoughts about God that are false. A God that can fit their own sin. Distorting the whole covenant. To the point that Moses comes down and smashes the tablets. The covenant is broken. People die. It's a crisis. And so now in these chapters 32 to 34, this covenant has to be renewed. And there's a heated debate throughout these chapters between Moses and God. Moses is himself burned out. He goes to God because he needs instruction. How to appease God's wrath that had been spread out over God's people for their breaking the covenant. Before they be consumed and there will be no exit to the promised land. God's people sense their need of forgiveness. God has to give a second chance. But again, it is through the intercession of Moses. Through his clinging to the promises that God had made. To take a people for himself. And now God... According to his own character, according to his own nature, he, he forgives them. He punishes. He is just, but he's also loving. And so, what do we see here in this sh- sacred showcase? We see that when we come face to face with God's glorious, loving, and true character, we find in his presence a good guide. To our frailty. When we come face to face with God's glorious, loving and true character. We find in His presence a good guide to our human frailty. There's three things we want to see here in our texts. First of all, the request of Moses. The first request of Moses is, show me your way. God, show me your way. And there we see... Our need for God's guidance, verse 12 to 17 of chapter 33. Moses he's addressing the Lord, asking for instructions to know the way. He says, "See, you have brought up these people, but you have not told, told me who will go with me? Moses feels lonely, he feels a burnout by the apostasy of, of Israel and the way that things got out of hand. With the golden calf, and all the weight of God's people is upon his shoulder. And we see this over and over again that when Moses, as a leader of God's people, feels burnout, he goes and goes to the mountain, goes to God, and he clings to the promises of God. He says, You have said, I I have chosen you by name. If I have found grace in your sight, show me your way. Make Known your way to me. Which means direct me now because I don't know where to go. But at the same time, in this context, show me your way which is revealed to us through your law, through your commandments, through your will in God's word. Help me to more deeply and intimately be acquainted with you and your ways. That I may know you. Intimately know you, God. That I may know where you want to lead me. And in verse 14, we see the promise of God's presence as an answer to that request. Show me your way. God says, he doesn't say, oh, here's where we're going. Here's where we're headed. He he doesn't tell him that there's going to be 40 years in the wilderness. But he says, my presence will go with you. That's all you need. It will give you rest. It will give the state of mind. Of perfect quiet. Of taking away these doubts. Of this burden that you are carrying. My presence will go with you. I will see this journey to the end. And look at Moses' answer in verse 15. Lord if your presence doesn't go with us. Then just don't. I'm not going to do one inch out of this place. I'm not going to move. Which is the right attitude. Also in recognition that God has singled us out as God's people. And this is the purpose. To dwell with us. And yet we have this problem of our sin. That demands judgment and condemnation. The purpose of God taking Israel out of Egypt to redeem it and to set Him apart and to dwell with them. And so our need for guidance, friends, as we see in this text, can only be answered by God being with us. By His presence in everything we do. And depending upon that presence... God is a guide for those who feel lost. Especially leaders. But even Christians at times may feel lonely, misunderstood, betrayed. Bearing a weight too heavy upon your shoulders. Unrest. We push and push. We try, as we said, in our own strength. Did we confide and we fall. And there's no lasting results. And there's a sense of failure. There's frustration. There's burnout. And Christ comes to those people and says, Come to me. Come to me and I'll give you rest. This is too big to handle for you. What you need is me. What you need is a mediator between you and this holy God. And I have provided such mediation. And I promise that, yes, my yoke... There will be crosses that will be burdened, but it will be easy to bear if you depend on me. I will send my angel before you. That angel that was sent to Moses and to Israel. There was promise who will bear God's name. Who will lead God's people through. It's me. You experience my presence. You follow my word. And you find acceptance as you pray. God is a guide also to those who depend on Him. Dependence upon God is what Moses displayed here in this intimate communion with God. He realizes that without God's presence, we fail. And not just as individual Christians, but as churches, as communities. We can have structures, we can have programs, we can have things. We can be so busy in doing things for God. But where is God's presence? Where is His ways? Where is His glory in the moment? You see, our true happiness does not lie in our circumstances. Our true happiness does not exist apart from God. This is how God designed and created us in His image. So that we might be satisfied only in Him. That anything else, even things done for Him, by themselves, will not satisfy. In fact, they will lead us to bankrupt or even presumption upon God. Show me your ways. Secondly, verse 2. 18 to 23 of chapter 33. The second request and greater request of Moses is show me your glory, Lord. And that's where we are in need of God's glory, of God's greatness. Here God gives instructions, preparation for seeing this glory. Allow me. Verse 18 says, allow me to see your glory, God. Allow me to see you for who you really are. Notice, Moses does not ask for help. Does not ask, can you fix this problem? Can you you help me in this and that? And obviously there's a place for that. But his first concern, he knows that all these things are dependent on one thing. That if he sees the glimpse of God's glory, he will be able to have a transformed mind and then deal with anything else, no matter how challenging it might be. Beholding God's glory will change. What I need is God Himself right now. I don't need a quick fix, I need God. I need the inner self of God in all His royal splendor. I need to see Him. I need to live in awareness of His presence or all is lost. Because that was the promise. That God will dwell among His people. And church, this should be our burden. And so God promises, I will let all my goodness. Now this is a goodness that is Ethical, moral, but it's also beauty. There's no evil in God's goodness. And it's going to pass over, as our brother reminded us this morning, before Moses, proclaiming the name of the Lord. The name. The name of the Lord stands here for the nature of God. The name of the Lord here stands for the character of God. The name of the Lord stands for the person of God. He will reveal Himself. And notice, God makes a clarifying statement here. He says, I will be gracious, verse 19, To whom I will be gracious. Which we know this passage is quoted by Paul in Romans 9. To show that yes, I will show my glory, But I will show also to whom I desire. to, To whom I have chosen to myself. And notice that m- most of, God's, of of the Israel were not Israel at this point. And in fact, we'll die in the wilderness, one a- rebellion after the other, one apostasy after the other. Which we see God's perfect sovereignty over his, his, his own nature. Next to who God is, is also, and specifically pertaining to matters of salvation... Do not question my decision. I have a purpose here. Of displaying my glory to those that I will choose. But God also gave a restriction in verse 20. Under this old covenant ministration. He says, you cannot see my face. Because no man shall see my face and live. No man will be able to bear the sight of my glory. Without being turned into powder. And perish. Many old testament passages speak of this, Deuteronomy 18:16, Numbers 3:10, Judges 13, 22. Wherever there is a divine moment, there is also this awareness and fear of death. Because you are in front of a holy God, and the whole principle through all these meticulous laws of the tabernacle was to keep us from death. Not even animals come to the mountain. And God's glory pass. God gives this favor to Moses because there's a loving relationship with him. He has found favor in the sight of God. He, he stands on the rock. Verse 21. I will hide you through the cleft of the rock. And the New Testament tells us that that rock was indeed Christ. Who is the only barrier That keeps us from being in front of this dazzling light of God's glory. That will blind us. That will make us into dust. Woe is me, says Isaiah, the prophet. When he sees that glory, woe is me. Because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live in the midst of people with unclean lips, Lord. While I pass uh, by God, he even used this, I would say, childlike language here. Theologian speaks of anthropomorphic, but it's childlike language. Let me, let, let me help you understand this, because I'm so great, I'm so beyond you. What is going to happen, verse 23, is I will take away my hand so that you will see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Sinful man cannot approach a holy God in his own term. And that is the problem of God's people right here. With their own imagination, with their own thoughts, they go into the worship of God and they die. Powdered. Ground splits open, swallows them up. But when you, like Moses, find favor in the sight of God... And you find a shelter in the rock. Then you can sing with even a blind hymn writer, Fanny Crosby. He hided my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. Friends, our alleged needs for greatness and glory can only be answered by God being magnified over and against our fallen and limited humanity. We have to see God for who He is, over and against ourselves. Do you see here, friends, how God is greater than anything? That God's desire is to show ourselves who we are and who He is. But we are unready, we are not ready to bear the weight of the glory of God in our situation. To realize that everything we need is God's glory. We are content in our life with our glories. With our praises. With our things. With our life. When in reality, this is such a little thing. Such a passing matter. A trivial matter. Compared to the majestic, eternal glory of God. Which can transform everything we do. Friends. Friends. Your witness. Friends, your, your challenges in life, the way people will look at you, will depend on this awareness of glory in your life. Look also how God is greater than our sin in this text. Yes, the glory of God collides with our sinfulness. And that is the issue here. But, Moses had to approach Coming out of these experiences with a veil. To hide it. To cover it. In front of God's people. That veil friends is removed. By the one who can wash away. And wash all of our sins. As wider as snow. That is the beauty of. What the Bible. In progress. Leads to the peak of the New Testament. Of the New Covenant. Where. This way is now open even for us, a sinful being. But it is not through our worthiness, it is through the fact that Jesus Christ bore the punishment that we deserve. And in the face of Jesus Christ, we have a glory more clearly seen as, his, as the Son shows Himself to us. That from a ministry of condemnation where people and even Moses himself is scared to death. We come to a ministry of righteousness. Through the righteousness of Christ which comes and once and for our Gives us the righteousness of Christ. Counted on our behalf. And our own sin. Our own shame. Our own condemnation. Laid upon the perfect son of God. Show me your glory. And how your glory is manifested, Lord, even through tolerating sin. So that your glory may be manifested in your redemption. In the fact that you paid for my sins. And it's all wiped out. All canceled. Once and for all. And now let's go to the peak of this passage. God shows himself. Chapter 34, verses 1 through 9. First, before he shows himself, God has to renew the covenant. And so he tells Moses to cut the tablets, to give again the same law. The same law. His word, be ready and present yourself by me. No man or beast shall be seen on the mountain. And God's presence passes by. Verses 5 through 9 it's this cloud God stands and proclaims like a trumpet sound which scared the Israelites it's like please you speak with him you speak with him we don't want to listen to that God comes and proclaims the name of the Lord the name of the Lord, once again, is an expression of the nature of God, the qualities of God. And is a two-fold repetition of the name of God, the covenantal name of Yahweh. Yahweh, as an emphasis, verse 5, God proclaiming; and verse 6, passes by. a same word for pass over that had taken through the Blood of the doorpost had taken the life of the Egyptians when God passes over. He now comes to judge and to save. To give mercy and to not, punish, not let the guilty go unpunished. Justice and mercy. The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, hell. He repeats His name. He's unchangeable. Notice this passage in the original text has no verb. There is no verb here. It's all seven comments or in grammars and adjectives that uh, at attributes are given. Seven attributes are given describing the very essence of God. Who God is. Seven pillars we could say of His character. Number one. The most... Needful for Moses and Israel. The Lord is merciful. The Lord is merciful. That means He doesn't show the punishment that we often deserve. Friends, if God were to give us what we deserve, we will all be in hell. We would not even breathe right now. We would be dead. This entire globe. But God, His nature is merciful, favorable. Despite being far superior to us, He has a deep, loving and forgiving spirit. Think of Israel. Merciful to them, even after their golden calf, their fornication. They should have been wiped out. In fact, God told Moses, I'll take you and I'll just wipe them all out. But God is merciful. Secondly, God is gracious, friendly, and helpful to the needy and repentant. Toward Him, He displays tenderness and pity, He shows grace. Jonathan Edwards, a great theologian of the Puritan age, said this Grace is but glory begun, and glory is but grace perfected. To the point that the glory of God is shown in his graciousness, in the fact that he gives us gifts with no strange attached. Stirred, he's slow to anger, he's patient. Is so much what we are not. And there is a specific area where he's patient with regard to anger. That means that he suffered long. Long Long-suffering, maybe your Bible says. It doesn't mean that God suffers. It means that it takes a long time for God to display his wrath. And so, when we think about his long-suffering... We see God not being easily angered, not easily irritable like us. I tend to be sometimes when I'm tired, when I'm under pressure, when I'm under attack. But God has patience toward Israel in the wilderness over and over again. At the moment that He should show judgment, He delays it, He gives time. And friends, nations are given time. People and sinners are given time. People mistake God's patience for, He doesn't care. No, that's not what's going on. But no, there is a time where that ends. And judgment begins. You think of your children. When you tell them one time. You tell them two times. You tell them three times. It comes to the point that, Son, daughter, we need to get to the next level now. I don't like to do with this, okay? But there, there is there's a element of discipline. But again, in the case of God, is perfect. He's delayed. He gives time. He's long suffering. Four attributes. God is abounding in steadfast love. Now that word is very important because in the covenant He gave with God's people at Sinai, He's loyal. Covenantal love, which He places obligations to act according to His own nature. Which means, yes, we might fail in our part of the... And Israel fails from the get-go. But God doesn't. On this side of the deal, He is faithful. Faithful. Look at that. Faithfulness. Reliability. The only true God, but also He conforms to everything that is real. Seven emphasizes this. He, uh, he keeps mercy, but He also keeps this loyal love through time for thousands of generations. Sound familiar? When He gave the law in the, the Ten Commandments, these are the same exact word, but they reflect the character of God, where you have an abundant love that He lavished over unworthy sinners for thousands of generations, he forgives iniquity and here it talks about iniquity, transgression, and sin, the whole spectrum of sin. He forgives it. He forgives it. He's a forgiving God. And where do we see this? Where do we see His mercy? Where do we see His grace? Where do we see this character? If not, mostly, completely full and glorified in the cross. Friends, we placed Jesus Christ on the cross. Our sin nailed the Son of God, the perfect Son of God on the cross. And yet out of love, while, while you were still a sinner, He dies for you. He gives you eternal life undeserved eternal life he comes to help to your misery your sin your brokenness and he lifts you up but look at the second part of there's a but but yes all these things are true and in this day and age we like to emphasize those things we like to rely upon those things but there's a but friends friends His love is not in contrast with His justice. The last and seventh quality of God is that He is righteous and just. How how does it say that? He by no means will clear the guilty. He will surely, you can be sure that He will not let the guilty go unpunished. He will not let declare a murderer, a thief on a court case. I'll let him go because I'm a loving judge. That is not our God. He will not ignore and pass Passover sin. Put it under the carpet. Act like if it didn't happen. No, there's a threat instead. A, a, a threat for us. To really contemplate the consequences of sin. The lasting consequences of sin. He will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children. Which means there will be consequences to your sin. To the third and fourth generation. Which doesn't mean, oh, what have they done in the third generation? No, they will continue the pattern of sin that you have done to the third and fourth generation. Your sin is going to have consequences. And we see this throughout the Bible. We see, for example, David, a man after God's own heart. If you read the story of David and look through that, the consequence of his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah, it's like devastating to his whole family, devastating to the future of the entire kingdom. But remember, four generations versus a thousand generations, which means. God still loves David. And David is beloved of the Lord. And even his children receives all the blessing because of the love for David. So, but again, we see both justice and mercy. Justice and mercy. So, where do we see justice and mercy? Once again, at the cross. The issue of the entire Bible is summarized here. How can God be merciful, gracious, and loving, and by no means clear the guilty unpunished? Friends, we're all guilty. How can those two things kiss each other, as the psalm says, through the cross? He doesn't sweep the sin out of it. He deals with the sin once and for all by sending His own perfect Son to take your place at the cross. And I invite you this morning, If you have not taken, by faith, relying upon this to embrace it right now, by faith in Jesus Christ, He doesn't require any justice because all of His justice is provided in the Son. All we provide is sin. All we need to do is reach out and trust in His perfect work at the cross. And there, with Moses, we bow down and worship in adoration. Bend us. Lord, we are a stiff necked people. Please go with us. And Moses worshiped. So, what we see here, we see that our need for goodness can only be answered by God's balanced character, revealed in His truthful and loving word. His balanced character, His balance between justice and mercy, His balance between, yes, wrath. But also love. And most of all we see the love of God displayed here. Over unworthy people, unworthy churches, unworthy sinners like us. He loves the unlovable. He shows compassion to a wretched sinner like me and you. Who are stubborn creatures. Stiff-necked people. Yes, we have the benefits of the Holy Spirit now dwelling within us as in a better covenant. But we are still dealing with faithlessness. Forgiving us from all sort of sins. Think of those sins that you did. Of which you are shamed. And to think that He forgives you. But God is also just friends. That we are reconciled to God but he's still holy. He's still loving. The two are not in contradiction. By no means he will let the guilty go on punishment. You're not going to get out of this. You might be able to corrupt an earthly judge. You might be able to. Oh yeah I'll pretend to be a Christian. I'll pretend I'll come to God one day. I'll tell him that I went to church. I'll tell him I did this. I'll tell him I did that. I, I, I'll show up to the heavenly city. Without unannounced I climbed through another way. I didn't take the narrow way. I did not lay my sin on the cross. I I thought I knew best. I'll not let you go. By no means he will clear the guilty up and punished. He is just, friends. And so you better deal with that now. You better come through the cross. The only place where vertically and horizontally mercy and truth kiss each other. And the gospel is God's self-proclamation of His own nature. That yes, I am a loving God, but I am also just. And I do love my Son. But I'm willing to give my Son, who gives His life willingly, out of this eternal love with the Father and the Son, for the good of us sinful creatures. We should not assume that since God is. This infinite amount of grace available, sin has no significant consequence. Generations will reap what you sow. But again, God's love exceeds the punishment that God can redeem even those patterns. He can reverse those generational things. The gospel comes in, but warnings still remain. Warning still remains, and God has. What we get from this is that we want to reflect the character of God. And the question is, are we reflecting the character of God as individuals and as church? When mercy is shown, mercy is given, said Dwayne Chapman once. Which means as we behold the character of God this morning, it is intended to transform our own character right now. To clean up all the mess, clean up all the ways in which we are far from His standard through His grace. God forgives individuals, God forgives churches, stiff-necked, and individuals like me and you who need to pray for repentance. Who need to pray for mercy to triumph over judgment even in the way in which we deal with other people's sins. And at times we will feel like, yes, Lord, wipe them all out. And it's like, that's self-righteous, friend. That's self-righteous. You are not reflecting the character of God. That's why you need to spend time with Him. You need to pray. You need to go to Him. And be completely spent on the mediator, Jesus Christ. God is love, friends, and God is just. He once again comes and allures us. He once again comes and offers His forgiveness. Yet we must not question why He doesn't forgive so and so. We must have a repentant attitude and realizing that the glory that Moses saw as through a mirror, as dimly, as through a veil, is nothing compared to the unsurpassable glory that is available to us as Jesus Christ comes incarnate, takes a tabernacle with us and dwells, he sends his spirit to live within us. We have the glory, surpassing glory of God at the cross. Where he triumphs over all of his enemies. Surpassing glory of God as he takes and removes the stone. And renews all creation. Victory over death, sin and Satan. Gets the glory of God. Remains the center. Not not us. Not what I can get out of salvation. To God be the glory. It's his glory. The point. Not Yes, you died for me. Yes, I'm unworthy. But Lord, you are so good. And I will worship you for all eternity. For all eternity. We'll stand and see you face to face. Revelation 22:4 says, They will see Christ's face. No longer on the cliff of the rock. Friend, do you love for this above all else? If your answer is yes, then pray. Pray with me right now. Lord, show me your way. Lord, show me your glory. Lord, show me your love. In Jesus' name, amen.